Good morning. So glad you tuned in to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church podcast. My name is George, pastor of the church, and I just wanted to thank you for tuning in. This morning, we're going to be looking into a, a difficult subject, a subject that we don't like to talk about, a subject that uh, I think a lot of people would uh, like to just avoid, and that's the realities of hell. What, Pastor, you're going to really talk about hell today? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And it's, it's hard. But, you know, Jesus did. Jesus taught on it. He taught on hell 33 consecutive times. And over a three-and-a-half-year period of ministry that, that Jesus had, that's a lot of times to talk about hell. You break it down, it's just about once a month. You might not have wanted to gone to his church. But it's concerning that people know and are aware of what Jesus Christ has saved us from. I hope you enjoy this message today. It's a tough one. In fact, it's entitled, It's a Tough Message. But it's one I believe that we have to talk about. God bless you. I hope you uh, love the message, and I, I hope that you'll come out and visit us sometime here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church, right there on the corner of Carter and First Street. God bless you, brothers and sisters. We'll see you soon. This, uh, this whole memorial service for my dear friend Shelley has really um, prompted me to speak on the things that I've been talking about last week and this week. Last week we talked about the realities of heaven and what it's really going to be like. And having this, this precious friend of mine who, who passed away at 45 years old, she did not think that her soul was going to be required of her that day. She didn't know. And I praise God because I, I, was, I was contemplating my own life and my own responsibility in what I've said to the people that I have relationships with. And I got great confirmation yesterday at this funeral that, that Shelley did know the Lord. And even though sometimes maybe she didn't live like it. Sometimes we don't, right? Sometimes we don't really live like it. He doesn't turn our, his back on us. We're not unsaved. But the interesting thing is, some of those choices we make could cost us life here on this earth. But what does the Bible tell us? That sin is death. It truly is. It can cause us to have serious issues here on this earth. But the blood of Jesus Christ, he died for all of our sins. Past, present, future. We just have to retain him in our hearts. I've seen a lot of my friends yesterday that I hadn't seen. This isn't... This is all extra. You didn't pay for this. 
a lot of people I haven't seen for quite a few years as deputies that I worked with at the jail. And I told them during the message, you see, she put down on her red form, can you remember what the red form stood for? Something emergency data. Can't remember the first R. But they have to, every year, they have to update it, and they put down on that form, you know, any change of phone numbers, change of marital status, or your kids, and all that stuff, contact information on everybody. And then there's a space that says, do you have a clergy that you would like to contact it? And would you prefer to have a chaplain respond if something should ever happen to you? They're in law enforcement. They could get killed in the jail as well as out on the street. So every year during their evaluation, they have to refill. She's been doing this putting my name down since I was at the jail and I left there in 2013. So it's been a number of years and just this last year she put my name back down. Hadn't seen Shelly in years. And it just breaks my heart that she's not going to be there with an infectious smile in the control room. But as I was talking I explained to the people that were there why she had put my name down and why I was officiating her service in somebody else's church. And it wasn't for my great oracle skills, you know, it wasn't because she had ever heard me preach. It was because she put my name down. And I began to share with these people that it concerned me. My question was why? Why would she put my name down? Was she saved? I had never had that conversation with her. I, I mean, I shared some things with her, and, and we talked about why I was there and things I was doing there. And, and, but I never said, Shelly, how are you with the Lord? I never asked her the question, if, if something should happen to you today and you're standing before God, why would God let you in? It's a very important question. And so I, I was suffering in myself, thinking, okay... I, I didn't do that. I, I did, God, did I miss it? Did I miss the opportunity to witness to a precious friend? Have I gotten to a place where I, I don't see the forest for the trees? I'm going there to, to minister to people that are in trouble. What about my friends? Literally, their spiritual house could be on fire. And I hadn't shared it with them. All these men and women were there. And they heard my heart's cry that I hadn't ministered to them. The ones who really mattered to me the most, not that the inmate didn't matter more, but I had relationships with them. We, we joked, we had fun, we, we ate lunch together often. I was one of the guys. But I didn't share the gospel with them. And so I said to him, I said, so any of you guys out there that are putting me down on your red form, you best come talk to me. Because this isn't going to happen again. And literally... Joe was my witness. There was a line of them that said, we all put your name down. 
and we're willing to sit down and talk. So important that we know, that we share with our friends, with people that we love. It could be someone you just see in the store every day. You see them there every time you go there and they're so happy and they know you by name and you know them. Have you ever shared the gospel with them? Well, pastor, it's just not that easy. You're right. It's not. But after I began to study what I've been studying, the end, what happens next? You can turn in your Bibles if you like to Luke 16. Um, it will be on the screen, but I've watched a lot of you grab your Bibles, and I love that. I love to hear the pages of Bibles turning in church. But when I get to it, it will be on the screen also. I'm continuing my message from last week where we talked about heaven. And I hope that it was a convincing message on the realities of heaven, because heaven is as real as, as being here right now. It's real real. The reality of heaven is so awesome. But I also told you last week that we were going to talk about this week, the reality of hell. It's amazing to me how many preachers and denominations are distancing, distancing themselves from the subject of hell. Because it is a tough message. And I do understand that. I do understand why people distance themselves from it, because it's a hard subject to talk about. But Jesus did. He talked about it plenty. He talked about the subject of hell. He preached it 33 times in his ministry. 33 times. Remember, he only had a three-and-a-half-year ministry. Break it down. He was probably preaching on hell once a month. Do you think you'd want to go to his church? Yes. Why? Why was he preaching on it? Because he doesn't want anybody, anybody ever to go there. It wasn't created for you. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture today. Jesus talked about hell more than he did about heaven. Think about this. Hell is mentioned in the Bible 167 times. Yet many theologians and pastors are distancing themselves from the subject. To me, distancing yourself from the topic of hell is like distancing yourself, that's hard for me to say that word, from the deity of Jesus Christ. It is that real, and it's a subject he talked about, and it's something we need to know about, and we need to know that it's real. Listen to these statistics. 35% of Baptists today do not believe in a literal hell. That was a shocking one to me. 35%, this is nationwide, and that is not taught in this church. We know there's a literal hell. We know it, and if you don't, you're going to know it after today. 54% of Presbyterian do not believe in a literal hell. 58% of Methodist, 60% of the Episcopalian do not believe in a literal hell. 
What was even more disturbing to me is 71% of the leading Bible seminaries do not teach on a literal hell. That's concerning. This is worrisome. The Bible talks about the great falling away in the last days. If you want to look at that, it's 2 Thessalonians. I didn't go there. Chapter, verse two, chapter 2. You can read it on your own. And let me ask you this. It's just a thought. Could it be part of the great falling away of Christianity from Jesus Christ is the fact that we don't believe in a literal hell? I know. They say, well, a loving God certainly would not create and would not send his creation to a literal hell. He wouldn't. He gave us this incredible gift. I'm getting way ahead of my notes. <laughs> he gave us a, an incredible gift. Do you know what that gift was? Well, Jesus is the most incredible gift. But in the term of creation, the most incredible gift that God gave us is free will. The right to choose. He wanted his family to choose him. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your father. He wants us to choose him. But you also have a right not to. How would it be love if he just made us choose him? If we had to love God? Where would the love be in that? Manny, if your wife had to love you because she has to love you, where would the love be in that? She loves you because she loves you. And that's the same love that God wants us to love him because we love him. Because we see, we have the reality that heaven is real, that this, this is only the testing grounds of our lives here. Our lives, our eternal lives, go on forever and ever. Now I'm all messed up in my message. But that's okay. God does not send anyone to hell. There are four groups of people. I've placed these four groups of people. They do not believe in a literal hell. The first group are the ones that I think are the most interesting. The atheist and the agnostic group. The atheist and the agnostic group. Let me say this. I don't believe in atheists. There you go. Because I personally believe that it's absolutely impossible. It's an impossibility for an atheist to say he is an atheist. Because an atheist says, this is how foolish, and the Bible even calls this person foolish, there is no God. And yet, and yet, and this is a proven scientific fact, that we only, our human brain, only retains 2% of all knowledge. And we're lucky, I don't even think I got two. I think I probably got one. But the smartest people in the world, Albert Einstein, and think of them, Benjamin Franklin, all these, these guys are so, their brains are walking brains. They had 2% of all knowledge. So let me ask the atheist this. 
if it's true, scientifically proven over here that you only retain 2% of all knowledge. I mean, do you know all language? Do you understand all things through all cultures and all history of all people and what had happened to them and what they went through? Can you talk all languages? No, you don't retain that kind of knowledge. So if that's the case, is it possible in the 98% of what you don't know that a God really exists? And I'm telling you right now, an atheist wouldn't be able to answer you. They'd get mad and walk away. But if you can keep them from walking away, you can say, no, 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 don't, don't get mad at me. I'm telling you, you're really an agnostic. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, an agnostic, they believe they don't know if God really exists. They're not saying God does not exist anywhere. They're saying, I, I just don't know. I mean, I can't see him. I can't feel him. He's, he's not in the air. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So we can work with them an agnostic. At least an agnostic is willing to say he doesn't know if God exists. Agnostic, atheist, infidel, skeptic, these all refer to persons who are inclined towards a religious belief or a particular form of religious belief. The agnostic is one who believes it is impossible to know anything about God or about the creation of the universe. Man, just let me sit down with him for a while. Let me talk to you a little bit about the God that I know. Well, how do you know him? Because he resides within me. He's changed everything from top to bottom, inside out. Everything's different. Everything's changed. God exists. But some still won't believe. Infidel means an unbeliever, especially a non-believer in like Islam or Christianity. A skeptic doubts and has is critical of all accepted doctrines and creeds. The second group, I, you, you, if you're writing this down, you'll have to take it down. The second group is an annihilationist. I can barely read that word. And this is what they base it off of. This is, they, they try to base their, their beliefs in, in Bible doctrine. But I'm, let me tell you this first out. You cannot take one verse of Scripture of what you think it means and create a whole doctrine off it. You've got to use the entirety of the Word of God. But they say, because of this scripture, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and the body in hell. You read on and you'll find out that isn't at all an annihilationist theory. They don't believe in hell. They believe that believers in Christ go to heaven, but non-believers are annihilated. Simple as that. They use this scripture in Matthew to base their false religion on. You can't take the interpretation of a scripture, your own interpretation, and base it on what you think. Here's the third. The third group is ultimate 
reconciliation, reconciliation, somebody say that for me. Thank you. Reconciliationist. Thank you. They believe that everyone will be reconciled with God. People who go to hell will only go there for a period of time, depending on how, they bad were, were, how bad they were here on this earth. This will determine how long they will stay in hell. Ultimately, they'll be reconciled with God. They believe Satan himself will be reconciled with God, and that is not biblical at all. From what they're saying, that Hitler is going to wind up being reconciled with God. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. It's a false doctrine. And there are people out there believing this. Here's the fourth group. The fourth group is a universalist. To my surprise, there are many popular preachers that are becoming universalists. They take that question that I already answered, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? They believe that Jesus died on the cross for everyone. And let me say this, he did. He did. But they take away the whole free will concept. They, they take it away. The, the most incredible gift God gave mankind, they take it away. Anyone, anyone can go to heaven. They have to accept the entirety of Jesus Christ and the gift that he gave us. They believe that you don't have to choose. They believe that in a they don't believe in a literal hell at all. Everyone who dies is in the presence of God. I mean, think about this. This is a bizarre analogy, and maybe you'll get mad at me for even using it, but think of it. The, the terrorists who drove the planes into the World Trade Center all died at the same time with believers that were on that plane. According to the Universalists, they were all in the presence of God at the same time. I'm sorry. That's not biblical. Maybe they've read some of these verses on hell, and they said it just can't be. It just can't be. It can't be that serious. It can't be that devastating. It can't be that hard. And it's all here. And Jesus talked about it plenty. That we would know and understand the gift that he's given us. The reality of heaven is so real. So beyond our imaginations to know just how real it is. But let's look at Luke 16. But, but before I read this story... I want to explain to you a few things because there's some controversy in this story. There are people out there that believe and they preach that it is a parable. This is not a parable, and I'm going to give you reasons why it is not. This is a story that Jesus told about real people. He uses a term as a certain rich man. A certain, the word certain is specific. Maybe for whatever reason, Jesus didn't want to use his name, but a certain rich man. And then the, the beggar is, is Lazarus. This is not a simile. This is not Jesus said, it is like, it is like. It is not that at all. Jesus is giving us a clear picture of hell before his resurrection from the grave. Pay attention to that because hell has changed from this story. And it's because of the resurrection of Christ. But hell is a real place. And listen to it in Jesus' own word. 
There was a certain rich man, this is verse 19, who was clothed in purple and in fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Now, I'm going to have to interject that the man obviously is not a believer in God. The God of Jacob, Azek, tongue failure there. The one and true God. It doesn't say that, but it says he fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Verse 21, desiring to be fed by the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs would come and lick his sores. So it was when the beggar died, this believing beggar, he was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, Torments in Hades. I, I, do, I, I have a little bit of a personal grudge against the translators of the Bible. For whatever reason, in most translations, if, we, if I pulled up the New King James, it would say hell. But for whatever reason, Hades is a Greek term that they decided when they translated the Bible to just put, let's just use Hades. It doesn't sound quite as devastating as hell. That upsets me. It would be kind of like um, if, if the Bible, our Bible was translated from Spanish into, into English, and yet they decided for water, let's put in agua. And, and somebody say, well, that doesn't mean water. Well, yes, it does. It's the Spanish translation for water. They just left it in there. Well, why would they leave it in there if they didn't want you to think it was water? And this confuses a lot of people. They look at this in the translation and it says Hades. That is a direct reference to hell. Hades means hell. He lifted up his eyes, <clears throat> excuse me, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I can only conjecture that what he was saying is he was the, the man was sitting there on Lazarus's lap or sitting there next to him. Abraham's bosom is, is what this whole area of paradise, they had, they had called it. You see, because the believers before the time of Christ, all our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the famous patriarchs in the Bible that we read about who believed in God, when they died, and they're all dead at this point, they went to a place called paradise, which was in the center of the earth. Same place that hell is, but there was a great prism between the two. And he cried afar off and said, said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So understand that Jesus, this is his own words, is describing hell as torment and as a flame. I think it's interesting that that this certain rich man didn't ask for a bucket of water or, or tell him to stick his whole hand in water and bring it down. And he just said, asked him, to, it's just the tip of his finger. This is really interesting. Let's go to the next one. 
Verse 25, and Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Let's go to the next slide. And besides all this, between us and you is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. There was this incredible gulf that was between them. This was hell in the day before Christ. I mean, before Christ's resurrection from the dead. It's different from the hell today. I'll tell you in a little bit why I think it is that way. But let's go on. 27, then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. He's talking about sending Lazarus, resurrect him, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, Let them hear them. We didn't have the New Testament yet. All they had was the Old Testament. Verse 31, he says, But he said to him, If they they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one is raised from the dead perfect picture of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Because he is going to be raised from the dead. And how many people still don't want to believe it? Jesus was talking here through this whole thing, and it ends all debate of the existence of hell. Jesus says a certain man in hell. Jesus says he was tormented in the flame. Certain, in the Greek here, this word certain is to be somebody, not anyone. He was referring to a specific person. There are three things here that we can get out of Jesus telling us this. The first one, the man desires comfort. He could see across this great gulf that is fixed, and he cannot cross over, so he cries out and asks for just a tip of Lazarus' finger to be put in water. He desires comfort. This is not a good place to be. He's in torment. So it tells us that if we were in hell, if we were cast in hell, we got feelings. We understand. We know that we're in torment. Number two, he expresses concern. I believe everyone in hell must think this. I hope my kids don't come here. I hope my spouse doesn't come here. And while you're in this place of torment, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. My sister-in-law, she was a Christian. Maybe she'll tell my wife and my kids how easy it is not to have to come to this place. Maybe she will tell them. Maybe she'll let them know. And then all of a sudden, the reality will hit him. And he'll say, 
but she never told me. She never told me. So why would he think that she would tell the rest of his family? It's a horrible place to be. It can't get any more horrible than this. And you can see why I didn't want to even preach this. Third is he seeks consolation. He asks if Lazarus could raise from the dead and tell his brothers. And Jesus said, he's got Moses and the prophets. If he doesn't believe them, you've got me. And if you don't believe me, you'd have a hard time not believing in the word of God at all. Because we're speaking truth, that the realities of hell are real. And you don't have to go there. It's easy not to have to go there. All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ truly did die, born of a virgin, die on the cross to be crucified and to be raised again, if we just believe that. I told you earlier I would give you the scripture, hell was not designed for you. Matthew 25, 41. It says, then he will, he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never prepared for you. And we must remember the story that Jesus just told us was hell before the resurrection. This is not the eternal hell that he speaks of in the book of Revelation. It's very different. And I got to ask, you know, this came to my mind just this morning. I think I might have been telling Joe about it. I'm not sure. The Holy Spirit wasn't in the world until Jesus sent him. Remember? We see a few glimpses. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized, and we know that the Holy Spirit had some interactions with, with different people. But he wasn't in the world like he is today, as our helper, inside of us, leading us, guiding us. God right there with us. Could it have been that before Jesus had died on the cross, all those thousands of years, that there was this hell, this place called paradise, could it have been that that's where the Holy Spirit resided and that's how they had light? It could have been. But when Jesus died on the cross, went to hell, and was resurrected from the grave, he took all the patriarchs, everybody from hell into heaven. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's there. It's in there. He gathered up everybody and took them into heaven. And Isaiah, I'll give you this at the very last, tells us that hell opened its mouth and was expanded to take in all the people in the world that do not accept the gift of Jesus Christ. If that's just, it's not, I'm not giving you something I think is, I'm just thinking, how could there have been light in a, in a place that's in the center of the earth? Well, because the Holy Spirit resided there with those people that were there. So what does eternal hell look like today? Eternal fire is real. 
Jesus said it was. In fact, Jesus talked a great deal about hell. It is what Jesus came here to save us from. There will be a day of judgment where, when all people face God, those who are not covered by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross will be cast into eternal hell where they will undergo eternal punishment. Matthew 25:46 says, "And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life." Anybody going to give me an amen? amen? But the righteous into eternal life. We praise God that we have eternal life. There is everlasting punishment and there is eternal life. In this phrase, the same word eternal is used to describe the punishment of the wicked as well as the eternal life of the believer. The punishment is endless, as is eternal life of the believer. That is why the gospel is so important, because it saves people from eternal damnation. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand. And that's where we're at. Amen? Amen. That same gospel that, that the Apostle Paul preached, this is where we stand says, by which you are saved, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you. Oh, Paul, did you have to put that there? Unless you believe in vain. I don't think a lot of preachers like to talk about that. What do you think that means? I don't know. I don't have the, I didn't, I didn't get the Greek and Hebrew interpretation of that statement. I think it's pretty clear that if we're not genuinely saved because we truly believe, we're just here because we want fire insurance. You know, we want, we want to pay our, our, our fire insurance by tithing to the church and we want everybody to believe that we're a good Christian, and, but they live like hell on the other side. There are people in our churches today, I'm not saying here because I know all of you, and if you were, I'd be, I'd be over there next to you talking to you, saying, we got to talk. So that's not here, but, but how many churches throughout America today, the thousands, the millions of people that are in church there because they want some fire insurance, not because they really heed to the living word of God and they want to change and they want to develop and they want to grow their lives. How many people are there like that out there? Does anybody out here know one? I've known a few in my life. That it wasn't really about Jesus Christ and what he's done. It was really about... I'm okay because I go to church. He goes on in verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. 
This is what we have to believe. This is not fire insurance. Let's look at Mark 9.43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched or is unquenchable. This was Jesus talking. If your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. It'd be better to live this life with just one hand than to go to hell. If it's your eye that causes you to sin, pluck it out. It would be better not to see if you have a problem with everything you see and you have lust in your heart and, and just, it would be better not to see than to go to hell for eternity. He was so serious about this. The word unquenchable in the Greek is called asbestos. Wow, that's familiar, huh? Asbestos. Does asbestos not burn? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just weird. It was a weird connection, but asbestos was the Greek word. According to the Enhanced Strong's Dictionary, Lexon, it means unquenchable, eternal hell, fire to punishment the damned. It occurs only in Matthew 3, Luke 3, and Mark 9. And the word means unquenchable, inextinguishable, not quenched, pertaining to a fire that cannot be put out. You guys got it? In Matthew 8, I didn't put these on the slide. I'm just going to tell you about it. You can study this on your own. Jesus describes it as utter darkness and no light. You see, that's why I say the hell after Jesus' resurrection went dark. Because the Holy Spirit no longer resided there. Complete blackness. There are two physical properties that keep us mentally stable. Do you realize that? There are two properties, physical properties, that keep us mentally stable, and that is light and solid. Without light, you can't move. I, I, you know, I feel for blind people. I pray that some blind people can tell when the light is on or when the sun is shining, but there are others that it's complete darkness. But they have another thing they can depend on, and that's solid. The ground they walk on. The things they can touch, they, they, they can know where they're moving. They'll have their little stick and tap and they'll know a curb. They're solid, without solid. Imagine living in eternity with no solid. Well, pastor, where are you getting that? From Revelation 9, 11, 17, and 20. It says, it describes it as a bottomless pit. You never hit bottom. Imagine yourself falling for eternity. In a flame, in utter darkness. You don't get, it, it's not going to be a party in hell. I want to go to hell because all my friends are going to be there. No, you're not going to get to see them. This is what the Bible tells us. You can see it in Revelation 9, 11, 17, and 20. There are two physical properties that keep us emotionally stable. I already said that. There are two emotional properties that won't be in hell. And the Bible tells us clearly these things. It tells us they will have no rest and there'll be no hope. 
Does anybody here have any concept of how important rest is? You know, when I get grumpy, my wife says it's time to take a nap. And she's right. Because I'm typically tired and my sarcasm turns mean because I'm grumpy. I'm tired and we need rest. And I wake up after Jesus. It could be just a few minutes. It could be a power nap. Just lay down for a few minutes. I wake up and I'm not grumpy at all. The world's a better place because that's what rest does for us. There's no rest in hell. Imagine your emotional stability in hell. There's no rest. No rest. And the last one is pretty obviously there's no hope. We hope in everything here. The Bible says our, the hope of our salvation. The hope in the Bible, just so that you know, means absolutely assurity, absolute assurity. It's a different kind of hope is I hope I get a job. I hope I, you know, I, hope I can pay the bills. No, that's not the hope we're talking about. We know God is with us and for us and going to help us through the times that we're in. Man, I'm not getting a lot of amens today. Isaiah 5 says, therefore, Sheol, this is the Hebrew word for hell, and I wish they had just put hell in there, has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure, their glory, their multitude, and their pomp. He who is jubilant shall descend into it. Now understand, just because we're having a party and we're having a good time doesn't mean we're going to hell. Because we're celebrating in what Jesus Christ has done. Amen. But these are the people that, that think, no, no, it's just a bunch of hogwash. And it hurts my heart to think that I know some of these people. And I love them. And they need to know that hell is a real place. You can rest assured I'm not going to be preaching on hell ever uh, for, for a while because <laughs> it's hard I, I you know people get mad and they don't want to hear that kind of thing you don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it I didn't want to read it but the reality of it is so true that all of a sudden I see the gift the glorious thing that God has done for me like man if you don't want to dance there's something wrong with you we got to dance we got, we're excited we have reality Tony could you come play the piano and help me out here because it's quarter after 12, and you all sat here in total silence. You're scared to move. You're scared to move, huh? <laughs> it's a reality we have to know and be aware of. I don't want you to, you know, go home and read Revelation 9, like I said, and go, oh, well, that doesn't mean that. Oh, yes, it does. It does mean that. The reality of hell is real. And the only way we could know that it's not real is have the true understanding that we're born again. We're believers in Jesus Christ. And I look forward to the day that the Lord takes me home. I look forward to it. Don't you be crying at my funeral. There better be a party. Because I'm on the streets of gold. I'm with relatives that have gone before me. And I get to ask all those questions that I want answered. You know? Although the Bible tells me that I'll be in such peace that I won't have a question one. <laughs>